0: Today on the Heartland Community Church Podcast, guest teacher Josh Turner opens the new series for anyone and everyone. Here's Eric Parks with the introduction.
1: Hey, Heartland. So good to see you. So glad that you're here and that we are gathering together and we're really, really excited because this weekend we launch a brand new series for anyone and everyone. And not only are we launching a brand new series that will span over the next four weeks where we begin to talk about some of the core values of who we are, today, you have a very special treat. We have a guest speaker coming in, but Josh Turner has been a friend of mine for a while. This is what you need to know about Josh. One, he is an entrepreneur, a pastor, and actually a pastor of pastors. Some of what he does in his day is caring for other pastors. He loves God's word and I'm I'm excited that he was willing to come and teach us today as we launch into this brand new series. Now this is what I want you to do. When you put your hands together, it makes a noise. It's called a clap. So if you would, would you just give Josh a crazy heartland welcome when he comes out because we are so fortunate to have him. Everybody welcome my friend, And today, our teacher, Josh Turner.
0: Hey, it it is an honor to be here. I mean, it really is. um, Like Eric said, Eric and I became friends a few years ago, and I like his look. You know what I'm saying? He's got a good look about him, a beard and a bald head. For all my bald men out there, God does not put marble on cheap countertops. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, he... We've just we we bonded over some past things that we've walked through in life, Um, and you know one of the things that I was telling some of the staff here is, and I hope this makes sense to you, uh, I don't trust many people anymore without a limp, with people that haven't walked through something, people that haven't gone through some trials and tribulations and have stayed faithful to Jesus. And the thing I love about your pastor, and I don't know what he shared with you, so I'm not going to get up here and tell you about his time in prison and all that sort of stuff. But your pastor's been through some things, and he's faithful to the Lord. And that's a man worth following. Amen? So can you honor your pastor? And then, y'all have Steve Carter as a teaching pastor. And Steve has a full head of hair, so that's not how you know Steve's of the devil. But... Steve is one of my really dear friends. Uh, we were actually together last week uh, in California together, actually, and uh, I love Steve. Steve has a temperament that is the opposite of mine. You know, Steve is very soft-spoken. You feel like everything that he's about to say to you is spiritual, where you feel like everything I'm about to say to you could be a cuss word. You don't know <laughs> what's gonna come out. And, uh, and I just want you to know like how fortunate you are and what's crazy is I was walking around the facility this morning and I actually texted Pastor Eric and I said, I see what you're, is in your heart to do here. I can catch the vision of what you want to see happen in Rockford. And I can catch the vision of what God is going to do, not only through the leadership that he's bringing here, but through you as the church. And man, I want you to know that sometimes we can be a part of something and that thing that we're a part of, it becomes normal because we're just used to being in it. But let me just tell you from an outsider, what's happening already, the leadership that God is bringing here, what God is doing in this church, and what God is going to do in the city, it's, I believe, and, and I'm not like a prophet or anything like that. I know a lot of you thought I was a prophet. Most of you thought I was a country music singer when he said Josh Turner, and you're sorely disappointed with that. Um, firecracker. That's all I got. And so, but what you're, what you're about to be a part of, guys, I truly believe it's going to be something that changes this city. And there needs to be, I, I want to encourage you to keep a holy awe and a holy expectation of what God is going to do. Amen? So can you just put your hands together one more time for Eric and Steve and your pastors and all that God's going to do here? Well, like Eric said, my name is Josh Turner. I actually brought a picture of my family. Uh, To share with you, I feel like it's important that you know a little bit of who I am. That's my daughter Riley. Uh, She is 13 years old. I don't know if you can see. Riley has a tracheostomy. She's in a wheelchair. Uh, Riley is severely special needs. She has a feeding tube, sleeps on a ventilator at night. Two years ago, we got a her first ever diagnosis, and she is the 12th known case in the world of a rare genetic disorder. Um, It caused us to have to leave. I pastored churches in Orlando, um, the city that Mickey built, and we had to leave Orlando and move to Atlanta, Georgia, where we are now. Uh, That is my son, Aiden. He is 18 years old. He's about to go be a fly fishing guide in Montana for a year down the Bighorn River because he is a man of God. Uh, And that is my wife, Becca, and we've been married 17 years. So if you can do math, I wasn't always serving the Lord. I was at a prayer meeting in college and that lady seduced me. And I said, no, I'm journaling. That's not how that happened at all. And, uh, but how many of you know, like how many of you got a backstory? You know what I'm saying? Like all of us in here. And for those of you that are not raising your hand, you're a liar. Okay, because all of us have backstories. All of us have things, right? From our past that we have been through, that we have done, that we look back on and we say, why did I do that? And we also have things that we know that we did that were blatantly wrong. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the things that makes me love Jesus the most is that he didn't come for those of us that have it all together, amen? He didn't come for the ones that are like, okay, well, they have the whole Torah memorized, so I'm gonna save them. They go to small group every week, so I'm gonna save them. They read their Bible and journal every day. No, Jesus goes, you know that one right there? That one that's messed up, that one that jacked up, that one that made that mistake, that one that did whatever they did on Saturday night, that's the one I'm going for. And there's something about, it just makes me love Jesus so much that he did not come for the ones that have it all figured out. He came for the busted and the broken. And what I love is it's, y'all say it here, for anyone and everyone, that this isn't a gospel, this isn't a savior that is closed off to the people that look like us, amen? This gospel is not closed off to the people who uh, have it all figured out, who are holier than we are. This is a gospel, and this is a savior that is for anyone and for everyone. In every single one of us in this room, the beautiful thing is we are in anyone and everyone. All of us in here, we represent that type of person. And what's so cool is once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, now it's our job to go out into the city of Rockford and look for the anyones and everyones. Let me tell you how God is gonna change people's lives in this city. God is gonna use you to change people's lives in this city. God is going to, he could have rocks cry out, he could have anything happen that he wanted to, but God has decided on this side of eternity, one of the main things that he is going to do to help people come to know his son, Jesus Christ, is he's going to use you. And I don't know about you, that is the most amazing thing in the world to me because I, don't, I still know what lurks in my heart. Like, I know that when I got cut off in Chicago traffic, which is of the devil driving out here, that I wanted to tell people things that weren't of the Lord. Anybody else? Nobody? Everybody's good? Cool? Yeah. Nobody in here road rage a little bit? Sir, I know you. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I do. Um, it's in an anyone and everyone. And so here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, I just want to drill down on that. And my prayer, and I was praying for you this morning, is that some of you in here this morning, that you would take a step and that you would realize is that you are in anyone and everyone that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross for to save. And I'm gonna give you a chance at the end of the service to respond to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then for those of us in here that know Jesus and that have a relationship with him, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and something would happen inside of you, that you would leave these doors ready to charge hell with water pistols to go get every person in Rockford that does not yet know about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus and to be a witness for him. And I'm not saying being a weird Christian. We all know weird Christians, right? Where you meet him and you're like, okay, you're psycho. And you leave. I'm talking being the hands and feet and showing the love of Jesus in a way that makes Jesus compelling to people. And so the way that we're going to do that this morning is we're going to look at Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke 15. If you take notes, I want you to take notes because if you take notes, you get to pick where you live in heaven. Okay. That's a rule. It's in the book of second hesitations. And so, so I want you to take notes because my prayer is, is that through looking at Luke 15, which I believe is one of the most beautiful pictures in the entire gospel of the heart of Jesus for anyone and everyone. And for those of you that are sitting in here that yet don't know the Lord as your savior, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would speak to you and you would be sitting there being like, I'm that person. I'm that anyone. I'm not everyone. And those of you that are saved, that you would be like, now it's time for me to go find the anyone and everyone's. Guys, let's just, be, let's just be honest. Do you know how many people are hurting in this world right now? Do you know how many people are broken right now? Do you know how many people are trying to figure out what they do in this situation or how they continue to live through whatever crisis America is, is on on this day and age? And what we offer is a hope that there is someone different and something different. We have the greatest message in the world. We have the hope that the world needs, especially in this moment. I mean, my God, look at the presidential election we just went through. And I'm not picking sides or saying sides or any of that sort of stuff, but that thing was crazy. And there are people that their lives are reeling because they put their hope in men. Listen, whatever you put your hope in, if it is not Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, it's going to let you down. And we get to tell them about Jesus. Thank you. You're going to heaven. Um, I I wish I could just pick people like that. You're in, you're in, you're in. Mm, I don't like that shirt. You're out. Um, So I want you to look at Luke 15 with me. And we're going to go through this entire chapter this morning. So for the next two hours, I want you to really, we're going to go through this entire chapter this morning because I believe it's a beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus. And I love the way it starts. Luke 15 verses one and two tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. The reason that I love the way that this starts is that it says notorious sinners. You know what it means to be a notorious sinner? You are so good at sinning, you are known for your sinning. That's what it means to be a notorious sinner, that you're so good at it, that you're actually known by your sin. It makes me think of the way I grew up. I don't know how you grew up. Uh, There were certain people when I was a, a, a young man that my mother and father would not let me hang out with because they knew that that person acted the fool. And I'd be like, hey mom, I'm gonna go hang out with Adam. She's like, no, you're not hanging out with Adam because if you go hang out with Adam, I'm gonna have to whip that behind when you get home because Adam's known for getting into trouble. And I know that if you go hang out with Adam, you're going to get yourself in trouble. See, Adam was known by his reputation of the stupid things that he did. And Some of you may be like, well, we never had that kid. Uh, I have news for you. You were that kid. If your parents didn't say that about anybody else, somebody else's parents were saying it about you. So Jesus, there's something about Jesus that notorious sinners wanted to be around him. I love that. Because people who are sinning and far away from the Lord, they usually don't want to be around people that make them feel worse about themselves. So there was something about Jesus that when lost, broken, and hurting people were around him, they wanted to be more around him. They were drawn to Those are the type of Christians that we need to be. Those are the type of people that go out and get the anyones and everyones that when people see us, they look at us, even if they are a notorious sinner, and they say, man, there's something different about that person. There's something different about the way that they live their lives. I love that there's something about Jesus so much that the people who are known for their sinning were like, I wanna be around that guy. Now, what also gets me about this verse is the religious leaders couldn't stand it. They were upset about it. They were mad about it. And that's one of the things that you know, as Christians, we're really good at judging people who sin differently than we do. That was a good statement. Um, And so like, it's one of those moments where as the religious leaders, they're looking at it and they're saying, why does he hang out with those type of people? He should be with us. He should act like us. Those people that he surrounds himself with, they should be like us. They should be hanging. I love that the Christians, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees in that moment, they were so bothered by the fact that Jesus was not only hanging out with tax collectors and notorious sinners, that he is even eating with them. So then it goes on. So this is what I love. This, when I read the Bible, I kind of always picture it like in the setting. You know, sometimes I think we read the Bible, we can become so familiar with it that we actually forget that these are real moments that are happening. So Jesus in this moment, he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees are standing around looking at this, being like, I can't believe he's eating with that guy. Do you know what that guy did? And the other Pharisees are like, yo, we all know what that guy did. And Jesus hears them complaining. So what he is about to say to them, the rest of Luke 15, is actually a response to their complaining that he is hanging out with notorious sinners. So they're complaining, and I think Jesus goes, hey, boys, I, I got some stories for you. You don't like that I'm hanging out with these people? Is bothering you that I'm actually eating with them? Well, let me tell you a story. He goes on, verse three. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And then when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The thing that I love about this is what it shows is Jesus is showing a picture that the good shepherd, he's not in a passive search for things that are lost. He's in an active search. That he doesn't just stand back with the rest of the flock and say, that sheep will return. And you have to understand, sheep were notoriously dumb animals. Like I was, I was studying shepherding and, and sheep for a sermon I was writing one time and they said that sheep are so dumb that they'll just follow each other and if one walks off of a cliff and dies, the other idiots will just follow that one sheep off the ledge. So I can imagine Jesus saying there's an active search going on that we're not just looking for a passive search. And I'm sure the Pharisees in this moment are going, well yeah, they're dumb animals. You have to actively search for them. You have to actively go after them. But the thing that I love about this is that Jesus is painting a picture that when something is lost, I don't just stand back. I don't just wait for it to return. I actually go and look for it. So every person that is out in Rockford, every person on this side of eternity For some of you that are sitting in here, that you feel far away from the Lord right now and you don't know what to do with it, I want you to know that there is a good shepherd, that he is not passively waiting for you to return to him, that he is actively searching for you, that he is coming after you, that he is going after you, that he's not just, he loves you too much and it doesn't matter that 99 are saved. and that Listen, it doesn't matter that we're all sitting in here. Jesus is searching for the ones that aren't here yet. Jesus is searching for the ones that haven't known his grace, his mercy, and his love. So Jesus paints this picture that there's an active search. I can imagine the Pharisees going, okay, cool, 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 okay. Jesus goes, I got another story for you. He goes on. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, Will she call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. If you have your Bibles um, or your, what, your iPhone, I want you to underline, highlight the, the phrase search carefully because this is the difference. So Jesus on the first one says, there's an active search going on. But on this one, Jesus takes it a step further. He says, yes, there's an active search going on, but there's not just an active search. There's a careful search. There's a diligent search. There's a search. Jesus is painting the picture. There is a search that is going on that this woman's actually not gonna quit until she finds the thing that she's looking for. And this is what Jesus is trying to explain to them. I am the shepherd looking for the sheep. I am the woman looking for the coin. I'm gonna actively search, and I'm gonna search in a way until I find them. I'm not gonna stop. And I get this, I get this point, because I don't. My, my wife makes fun of me uh, all the time about this, and y'all need to pray for her. She needs salvation. But I, my wife makes fun of me about this all the time. Um, I'm 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 big into the outdoors and hunting and fishing. And I know y'all looked at me and you're like, that's a man. Um, that wasn't a joke. Um, and and I'll lose things from time to time. I'll lose a pocket knife. I'll lose my binoculars. I'll lose whatever the case may be. And there's something about it where I can't stop looking for the thing that I have lost till I find it. My wife's like, You're, you have some problems. And I'm like, I know I have problems. That's why I go to counseling. But like, it's one of those things that I feel like something's missing. I feel like something's not complete. And actually what it makes me think of is a couple of months ago, um, my wife came to me uh, and said, I have to tell you something. I said, okay. And as men, we know that usually doesn't land next with, I love you so much. Like, you know what I mean? Like when your wife says that to you, she says, I have to tell you something. I said, okay. She goes, I can't find any of my wedding rings. And I said, okay, well, I've been trying to get out of this marriage for a long time. That's step one. I did not say that. That is ridiculous. So (laughs) that that was stupid. Um, She did. She comes and she goes, I I lost some of my, she goes, I can't find my wedding rings. And I was like, you know, I would love to say like, baby, it's okay. Our love is more than a diamond ring. But I said, girl, you better find it. You know what I mean? Like, so she goes on this search for days. She finally comes and sits next to me on the couch again. She's sobbing. She said, they're gone. I can't find them anywhere. And I sat there and I watched her like weep over these stupid rings. That are a symbol of my undying love, but whatever. Um, But I sat there and I watched her weep over these rings. And as I was writing this sermon, here's the thought that I had. I think that the way that my wife felt about her wedding rings is somehow the smallest fraction of the way that Jesus feels about those that are lost. I feel like there's this brokenness inside of him or this hurting inside of him as he looks at the people that are so valuable to him that he would willingly put himself on a cross for them so that they could be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God that Jesus is looking at them going, if they only knew if they only knew how much I loved them, if they only knew how much I cared about them, if they only knew what I paid for them, man, they would want to be found, I, I could find them, I could get them, like whatever, and they just keep running. And that's the way that I picture our savior. That not only is he actively searching for people, but that he's diligently searching for people That's how all of us are in this room right now that know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Do you know that the only reason that you ever responded to Jesus Christ in the first place is because the Holy Spirit drew you to Him? That He sought you out? That He hunted you down? That He came for you? And He may have done that through a song, He may have done that through a friend, He may have done that through the Word. He can do it any which way He wants. But you and I are in here not because one day we had a revelation about the goodness of God. You and I are in here because of the grace of Jesus Christ that was given to us by what he did on the cross that actually reminded us of the goodness of the Father and drew us back into a relationship with him because he didn't give up searching for us. And just like he didn't give up searching for us, listen, we need to not give up being the hands and feet of Jesus searching for those that yet don't know him, the anyones and the everyones. So let me ask you a question. Who have you been searching for? Who is that person? Listen, and we all have this person, right? We all have that person in our life that we know that God has placed us in their lives to actually kind of help lead them into a relationship with Jesus. But let's be honest, it's weird at times, isn't it? It's weird to share your faith. It's weird to talk about Jesus at times. But listen, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you and speaking through you, you need to worry about less about what you say and just be willing to use, allow God to use you in those moments. So who is it for you? Who is that person that right now you know in your heart, that anyone and everyone for you, that you know that God is saying, that's your person. That's the sheep that I want you to go after. That's the coin that I want you to look for diligently. And you know that person. We all have those people in our lives. How do we go after them? And for some of you, maybe you're in here and you are that person. You, you ever been sitting in church? Like you remember the first time you came back to church and you walked in the back and you're like, is this a cult? You know what I mean? Like. And you come in, and there's a little bit of you that you know you're there for a reason, but then there's another part of you that's like, what am I doing here? Maybe that's you this morning. And maybe you're here not because one day you woke up and said, I'm just gonna go to church today, but because God's been planting something and stirring something in your heart because he knows that you are someone that he loves cares for, died for, and went to the cross, and he wants nothing more than a relationship with you? Who's the anyone and everyone for you? And I think in this moment, the Pharisees are like, okay, listen, Jesus, we get it. Sheep are dumb, they get lost. The coin, it got lost on accident. And I think these are the moments, this is the way I always picture it, it's like the movies. Jesus goes, oh, I got one more story for you. I actually have a story for you. It's not about a dumb animal or an accidentally lost coin. This is actually a story about a son who gets lost on purpose. He does it on purpose. So if you have your Bibles, look with me at Luke 11. To illustrate the point further, I love that he's just talking to the Pharisees, the judgmental Pharisees. One story, two stories, he goes to this one. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I love this part right here because I think what the son is doing is he's planning his speech. Have you ever been caught doing something and you knew you were gonna to have to give an explanation of what you got caught doing so you begin to work your explanation out before you have to tell the person? Do you know what I mean? Like your parents busted you back in the day or you have to go tell your, your kids or your wife, you have to tell them something. You're like, okay, this is how I'm gonna do it. I think this is what he's doing. He's going, I've sinned. He goes, I will go home and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So here's what you have to understand just from these few verses right here. In modern times, what the son is doing to the father is basically this. Dad, I don't care whether you're alive or dead. I want what's mine, give it to me. He's dishonoring his father in a massive way. And these are the moments where I think the Pharisees are like, oh, this is gonna be a good one. The dad's gonna be so ticked off. He's gonna be so mad. So then the son gets his inheritance, he gets his gifts, and the Bible says he sets off for a distant land and he blows it all in wild living. So let me say it this way. He takes the gifts the father gives him, he sets off far away from the father's heart and he squanders his gifts. He uses the gifts inappropriately. Has anybody in here ever used the gifts that God has given you inappropriately? Have you ever taken the tongue and the ability to speak that the Lord has given you and used it inappropriately? For seven years, we spoke sign language at our house with our daughter. And then one day, miraculously, she started speaking and she immediately used it. (laughs) Like, but that's one of those things. Like she's taken a gift. She has a gift that God has given her. And I understand what it is to not have that gift. But a lot of us, what we end up doing is we take in the gifts that God has given us and we go away far from the Lord and we misuse the gifts. And then often what happens is much like the son, we find ourselves doing something we thought we would never do. Now this son is having to tend pigs. Now to us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But you have to understand this is a Jewish boy who was not allowed to be around pigs because pigs were ceremonially unclean animals. So not only is he taking care of them, he's also feeding them and also looking at the food that the ceremonially unclean animal is eating and longing to eat it himself. There had to be this moment, and I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you're doing something, you're in the midst of something or you have just done something and you wake up the next day and you think to yourself, what did I do? How did I get here? How did I end up in this place? And this son, in this moment, I think he has this realization, listen to me. Sin will always take you further than you're wanting to go, and it will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sure, at first, it's fun. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Sin is fun for a season. But often, that season takes us a lot further than we ever wanted to go. And it costs us a lot more than we want to pay it. So in this moment, this son, he is in this pigsty and he's eating it. And by the grace of God, just like for so many of us in here, we remember the father's goodness. He goes, I'm gonna go home and I'm just gonna be a servant. That's all I'm gonna do. And this is the moment where I think the Pharisees are so much like, I can't wait to see what the father does when the son returns home. I think that's a lot of the times our, our thoughts about God. That when we screw up and we mess up, that God's sitting up in heaven, just being like, come on back, yeah, come on. And, and somehow we end up mistaking God for Zeus. That so he's just sitting up there with a handful of lightning bolts. He's like, sin, boom, flat tire, that's what you get for sinning. Sin, Send, boom, guilt, shame, Send, like, and that's what we end up thinking. I think probably in this moment, this is what the Pharisees are thinking. But what the son finds when he returns home is so much different than I think what they thought he would find. And what the son finds, and this is the picture that Jesus is painting, what the son finds when he returns home from a faraway land, misusing the gifts and the inheritance of his father, is he finds something that is totally different and he finds actually what we find. And he finds what anyone and everyone outside of these walls finds. So here's what I wanna do. I going to give you three things real quick. The son finds when he returns home. The first thing the son finds when he returns home is he finds a father that was waiting. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Most often, the way that you see something from a long way off is you see it because you're looking for it. I believe the father went back to his day when his son left, tending the flocks, doing the stuff he needed to, to keep up his estate, his house. But I also believe that there wasn't a day that went by that this father did not have one eye fixed on the horizon looking for his son. That he was out there, that he was doing what he was doing, but he was also saying to himself, I know that my son's gonna come back. I know that my son's gonna come home. I know that my son's gonna to return to me. And for some of us in here, listen, you may be far away from the father right now, but what I want you to understand is your father is busy doing some other things, but he's got one eye fixed on the horizon for you. That he has one eye, and he is looking for you to return home. Every person that is outside of these walls and outside of the walls of any church right now, God has one eye fixed on the horizon for them, and he is looking for them, and he is waiting for them to return home to him. He's not giving up on them. He's continuing to look for them. The second thing that he finds, he finds a father that was, a father that was running. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. So the father sees him from a long way off, and he takes off running. Now, once again, right off the bat, you have to understand that in this time, it was very undignified for a man to run. I don't run because I like tacos, not because it's undignified. But this father sees his son, and he takes off running. And then I love that it says he's filled with compassion. So when you look up that word compassion in the Greek, it's the word splaknizomai. And it actually means, when you read the definition, it means to be filled with such a feeling that it causes your insides to ache, that you see something, and we've all seen that you see something, and your heart goes out, that it moves you to action, that you cannot stand still in the place that you're in. So this father, he is filled with such emotion by his son that he does not worry about being undignified. He does not worry about the way that he looks to anybody else. He hikes up his cloak, and he takes off running because his insides hurt in a way because he loves his son so much. What's interesting about that word is every time the New Testament says that word, it is often using it to explain the emotion of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ looks upon the crowd and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd, it's this emotion that Jesus looks at them and he loves them so much and he has so much heart and care for them that his insides actually hurt he's like, I've got to do something. I've got to move. I've got to get to them. So the father runs to him. And the third thing he finds is he finds a father that was embracing. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Now I want you to think about this with me. The son is returning from a distant land. He's returning from a pigsty. He's filthy. He's dirty. He's not in great shape, probably. He probably smells. What you don't see is you don't see the father run to him and go, son, son. Whoa. You go clean yourself up first, and then I'll embrace you. You go, you know what, son, you go wash up, you wash all that funk off of you, you wash all of that grime off of you, you wash all those bad mistakes off of you, and son, then I'll actually hug you. Son, then I'll actually embrace you. You know, the Bible says that in his filth, in his dirt, coming from a pigsty, traveling from a far way off, the father grabs him, and the word, he kisses him, fervently That's the word where he kisses him. It actually means the word in Greek, kataphilio, which means to kiss fervently, to cover in kisses. So this dad, please hear me. This dad grabs his son who has squandered his gifts and in his inheritance, who has shamed his father, who is covered in filth, who is covered in dirt and pigsty slop, he grabs him in the midst of his filth and he begins to kiss him. Jesus is like, that's how I feel about the anyone's and everyone's. I'm looking for him. I'm diligently searching for him. I'm waiting on him. I'm running to him. I'm embracing him. That's, that's the heart of our Savior. For the anyone and everyone's, That's the heart of Jesus. And so many people don't want anything to do with Jesus, not because of who Jesus is, but because of the way that Christian people have represented him. Guys, we get to be the hands and feet. We get to love people and show people how much Jesus loves them, that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made that Jesus is gonna embrace you and he is going to kiss you in the midst of your filth. I remember when I got saved. I remember I walked into a church and I did, I I walked in and it was the first time I'd been to a church where people had, like, I, I grew up at a Methodist church. The organ player was like 95. Like you didn't know if she was gonna make it through the first and third stanza, you know what I mean? It's a joke, you can laugh at it, it's okay. She was old, she knew it. And so I go to this church, and people have their hands in the air, and I'm like, "Oh, this is a cult for sure." Like that was my thought. I mean, I mean, you got—I'm hung over from Saturday night at church on Sunday. So we go in, and I'm standing cross-armed like this, and I'm looking at the stage. And I'm looking at all these people, and I was like, "This is not what I'm looking for. This is crazy. This is weird." My son is standing beside me. He's one. At the time. I'm standing like this and I'm looking at the stage. I'm looking at all these people. I just happened to turn and look at him. And he had pushed himself up on the seat and he was standing with both of his hands raised. I lost it. Like some guys look tough when they cry. I was like, that dude needs help crying. And after all these years, this is the best way I know to explain it. What I felt like the Lord said to me in that moment is, son, I know where you've been. Son, I know what you've been doing. And I'm just glad you're home. We get to help tell people about that Jesus. We get to go after the anyones and the everyones to tell them about our Savior. And maybe there's some of you in here this morning, I know it was just Easter last week. But maybe there's some of you in here this morning that you need to commit or you need to recommit your life to Christ. That you are that anyone and everyone. And you're sitting in here and you're like, man, I don't know where I am with the Lord. I just wanna give you a chance to respond. And can I just say this? And people get so wrapped up like, do I respond, do I not respond? Like I was once saved, always saved, I was bad. Like, listen, this is my always my response. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, just respond. Like, let's not, let's not like, try to figure it all out. If you know that the Lord is leading you into something, just respond. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me in this moment. You know, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is that every person that has ever walked on this earth, apart from Jesus Christ, we all need a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. And Jesus loved us so much that he willingly went to the cross and paid for our sins that we could not pay for. Not because we were so bad, but because his love was so good. And when Jesus died on that cross, not only are we forgiven of all of our sins, but we are reconciled to God and brought into right relationship with him. So now you are righteous, not because of the things that you do or do not do, you are righteous because of the way that God sees you through what his son Jesus did on the cross for you. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, that in that moment we are saved. So if you're in here this morning and you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three and I'm just gonna ask you to raise a hand and that's it. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and that's it. One, two, three, raise them. (laughs) There's lots of hands. Lord, you are a, you are a good God. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus. God, we thank you that you don't give up on us. Even when some of us give up on ourselves, we thank you that right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is moving, and God, that you have drawn people to repentance, and you have drawn people to salvation. Everyone here, I want to lead us in a prayer, and I just want you to repeat this after me. Everyone, let's say it together. Say, Lord Jesus... I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Right now, I just confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Come on, guys put our hands together for everyone. That got me. They just received Jesus. I'm gonna end with this and we're gonna stand up and go into a song. Everyone in here, now that you're found, it's time to go find. It's time to go after the anyones and the everyones and know that God is gonna work through you and move through you as you allow him to make you his hands and feet, amen? Hey, let's stand to our feet. We're going to one song of worship. I'm just gonna pray over you. God, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you did. Thank you for every person in this room. We thank you for salvation. And God, we pray that as we leave here, God, that you would bring to mind the people that you have pulled us into relationship with so that we would help them to better know your son, Jesus. And God, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to part one of For Anyone and Everyone with Josh Turner. Part one online features teaching pastor Steve Carter. You can watch it by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page. Or you can go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford. You can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.